The Bible reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 58. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as it determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. They are also heavenly bodies, and they are, they are earthly bodies. But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendour of the earthly body is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, and the stars another, and the star differs from the star in splendour. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all asleep, but we will all change, all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with the immortality. With the, when the perishable has been clothed in, with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that his labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, everybody. Wonderful to see you. Um, I haven't had the, uh, the privilege of, of preaching at this service uh, before. Actually, that's a lie. As a student, I did. I forgot that. But um, it's wonderful to be here and uh, to see you all, to worship with you. For those that are on live stream, uh, wonderful for you to join us as well. Um, it's also really cool hearing the stories of like, Ash and Kaz. And I remember I went over to Indonesia a couple of years ago and got to see the ministry that they were doing there. And just to remind ourselves that we're on a, we're on a global mission and it's local and it's global. It's really cool. So 
But we are now going to approach God's Word. And thanks, Ricky, for reading that. That was a bit of a chunk. So thanks, brother. But we are going to pray first. And I know it's, we do it every time, uh, but we don't do it because it's tradition. We do it because it's necessary. So please pray with me. Our good and gracious God, thank you so much for giving us your word. Uh, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. Father, we pray that uh, these words that you've given us uh, are meaningful to us. I pray that as I preach that it will be faithful to you, that it will bring you glory, that we'll be shaped more into likeness of Jesus, that you propel us forward uh, on your, your mission here on this earth. And we look forward uh, to the coming of Jesus again. Speak through me, I pray, and by your spirit, please empower us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So this morning, uh, we are going to talk about the future. Now that's a little bit presumptuous, I know. Uh, as the saying goes, there's only two things that we can be certain of, death and taxes. Um, but we actually think about the future a lot. Like whether it's like a plan we have or a, a goal that we have in the future, or you know, you're going to finish something in three, four years' time, you're going to build your home, you're going to live in this place, you're going to go to that place. We think about the future a lot. And it, it, it shapes what we do in the present. It, it shapes our, our lifestyle in some sort of ways. Like say you have a holiday that you've booked and you, you've put down a deposit or whatever, it's coming up in a couple of years' time. If you haven't paid the full thing, you make sure you still have money for when the full thing comes so you can go and enjoy it. That, that thing in the future shapes what you do in the present. Or say, in more sad, horrible circumstances, someone gets given a terminal illness or something like that, something of certainty, and it shapes what they then do in the present. Because what, hap what we think is going to happen in the future, whether we know it subconsciously or consciously, it shapes our current lifestyle. Now, in those examples that I just gave then, they were kind of, they were like immediate things, things that are going to happen in, in, uh, in this life. But what about our future for when we die? Like, what do we think about is, is going to be our future then? Now, most of us here are Christians, which is a, a good thing. Um, and you probably rattle something off about the fact that we're in Christ, heaven's going to come, we're going to be with him, going to be glorified, that kind of thing, which is good, it's wonderful. And thankfully, uh, the Bible has a bunch to say about what will happen in the future. And, but particularly, what kind of relevance it has for us now. And so we're exploring a bit of a mini-series in uh, 1 Corinthians at the moment, uh, in thinking about the future, and particularly the resurrection of the dead. Um, as we just had read, we're, we're in 1 Corinthians, uh, looking at the back half of chapter 15. And to catch us up where we're up to so far, we're kind of just moving off the back of Easter, where we celebrated the resurrection, or the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have 1 Corinthians 15 open with you, you'll see when you look at verses 1 through to 15, it really celebrates the gospel, right? That Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he rose again. We know he rose again, there was... The tomb was empty, there was witnesses. Now the passage has heaps to say, but at least it says that the resurrection is a fact and it changes everything. Then last week, Billy was preaching to us. He did a wonderful job and he was preaching on the section from 12 through to 34. 
And that was all about how the resurrection of Jesus Christ is pivotal to our faith. It's the foundation of uh, our faith. The fact that he rose again, uh, this is Jesus, he's now the first fruits. And for those that are in Christ, we too will be raised again. And that's kind of where we're up to in in, uh, chapter 15. So you could say so far we know that, um, that, that the dead will rise because of Christ. But now we need to explore how they will rise. Now, Paul kind of preempts his question, uh, which is cool. He says in, in verse 35, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Now, I think that's a pretty fair enough question. We've just talked about how the dead will raise. Like, what's going on? How will they, how will they raise? You can imagine yourself or, or other people asking, like if our body died once, when it gets raised, like, will it just die again? Do we just go into this continual die, life kind of thing? Is that what's going to go on? Or like, what kind of age do I get to come back at? You know, like, I kind of liked being 22. You know? Could I do that to come back at 22? Or there's some things about my body I don't really enjoy. Do I rise up and, and have those kind of things again? Maybe fair enough questions. What does Paul say? How foolish. When I read that, I thought that was a bit harsh. I thought thought there's no such thing as a silly question, uh, but Paul thinks so. But what's so foolish? Like, what is it about that question that is foolish? It's helpful to think about what might be behind the question. When everyone asks a question, there's usually something that underpins that. For the Corinthians, they had a particular view of what was spiritual and physical. And they... They valued the spiritual much more than the physical. Material things were inferior to spiritual things. They didn't think that physical things could inhabit the, the heavenly realms. On top of that, physical resurrection is not part of their experience. They've heard of Jesus, uh, but they have no categories to conceive of what a resurrection could look like. Basically, they can't fathom it to be a thing, So they dismiss it as impossible. When the first uh, European explorers came to Australia, they came across an animal, a platypus. Now when they came across this animal, they were pretty surprised. They'd never seen something like this before. And so they they got one, they stuffed it, and they sent it back to their buddies uh, over in Europe. Basically said, look what we found here. Isn't this creature amazing? The Europeans thought, it's a fake It's a joke. They're like, how can this creature with a duck bill, webbed feet, it lays eggs, it has a poisonous spur on its back, it's got fur on it, it makes no sense at all. They thought it was all stitched together, all sorts of animals, right? Their categories of understanding thought that that was a fake. But it was real. The Corinthians are in a similar kind of situation. They are limiting God. They're limiting what God can do based on their own experience and understanding. That's what makes the question foolish. If what underpins it is a limitation of God, if we only allow God to fit within our own categories, that's not wise. That's foolish. Because as gracious as God is in giving us incredible capacity as humans, we have done incredible things in the th- because of how God has created us. But God is still far, far, far beyond us humans. Now Paul from here, he doesn't go with like a really rebuking kind of tone. He wants to teach them. 
He wants to, let me encourage you, let me encourage us. Um, let's look at the creativeness and the grandeur of God and his plan for complete, complete redemption of our bodies, such that it lets you spur you on, spur you on in your faith. Now, there's three things in this passage uh, which I think are kind of helpful for us to explore. And we'll work through them sequentially. But what kind of resurrection body is possible? Like, what, what could it be? Um, then what kind of, what will the resurrection body be like? How will it be different to what was before? And then when will this resurrection body be a reality? When will it happen? And so we'll work through the passage uh, looking at those three things. Firstly, what kind of resurrection uh, is possible? Like in other words, how should we begin to correctly think about the resurrection bodies uh, we could have? Now, Paul starts with an analogy about seeds. And it got me thinking, do you remember that Woolworths had those little uh, discovery garden things? Um, Rachel, my wonderful mother-in-law, she had the, the full set. She was crazy. Um, what? <laughs> They're all dead. Uh, I have two little girls, and one of them in particular started to enjoy the, these uh, discovery gardens. But what you get is a little seed, well, a little, a little group of seeds, so tiny, like really, really small, a bit of soil and a little pot to put them in. You, you put it all together, you put this tiny and significant seed in there, you water it, the, the sun happens, and it grows into something quite beautiful, quite purposeful from an insignificant seed. The basil seed becomes a basil plant. It's still basil, but it transforms into something incredible. Transforms into something completely different. Even though both the seed and the plant are still the same, they've transformed. And that's the illustration that Paul gives. And if you have a read, verse 36, he says, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, just as a plant, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he's determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. The point is that God can transform things. Something that looks really unlikely can become something incredible and beautiful. So if our current natural bodies are, like the analogy says, like a seed, God can transform it far beyond our imagining. Like my little daughter, right, when she sees that seed for the first time, she has no idea that that can transform into something pretty and beautiful like that. No comprehension at all. We too have no real comprehension of what our, our future bodies that God will bless us with will be like. But God can do it. He can transform our bodies. Now, to develop and expand the analogy further, Paul goes on to talk about other types of bodies that he's created. From verse 39, he says, Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, fish another. There's also heavenly bodies, there's earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies, they're different to the splendor of the earthly bodies. You've got the sun, you've got the moon, you've got the stars, you've got stars from stars. They're all different. Like Paul is saying here, God has incredible creative power. He's put all sorts of bodies in this universe and that have their own suitable environment. Fish, they go in the sea. Birds, they go in the air. Stars, they go in space. God has made all sorts of bodies in the past and he can do it again. 
overall point of this is that we will get a new transformed body suitable for the eternal environment. So don't be foolish and try to limit the capacities of God. This brings us to the second question to ask, which is, like, what will this resurrection body be like? How will it be different? We've established it's transformed, but in what way? How is it going to uh, change? Have a look at verse 42. There's lots of beautiful things in this passage, but I, this one is particularly cool. It says, So it will be in the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. Like That is just the most glorious image. Like It is a beautiful image. Because Paul is recognizing that although um, humans are made, and, and wonderfully so, like we are perishable. We decay, we die, we have pain, there's suffering. Things don't function as well as they could. They get worse and worse as we get older. We have no power to really change it. We're perishable. But that's not the destiny that God has for us. Because of Christ, because of God's redemptive plan, Christians will be raised into this glorious state. Imperishable, glorious, in power. Eternal. No more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, no more concern, no more fear. We'll be ones like the glorious Christ. Like I, just, I wish I could just like paint the picture better for you. Maybe I'll be better in 10 years, I don't know. But like this is just a beautiful image of what it means to be in Christ and have this beautiful, transformed, glorious body. Now what this passage also shows us, and looking particularly at the analogy of the seeds, is that there is continuity and there is discontinuity between now and then. Because did you notice um, that it is sown something and then raised something? It's the same seed that flows through. We don't cease to become who we are, but we're completely transformed. But there's also discontinuity. It's not like we go from an iPhone 12, and we chuck it out and get an iPhone 13. It's the same, but it, it, there's not a continuous nature there. And it's not like we're Optimus Prime, the Transformer, who like, just from deep within, all these things come out, boom, okay, we did it ourselves. That's not what's going on either. Like, it's more like a seed. Our bodies are completely transformed, but like a basil seed becomes a basil plant. It functions and it looks completely differently, but it still has the same identity. So we can be confident that there is a continuity from this life to the next, but our decaying bodies will cease to be and will become com something completely new and transformed. Now the next section here, verses 45 through to 49, is some really kind of rich theology uh, about Changes between being in Adam to being in Christ. We're just speaking about the heavenly man. That heavenly man is Christ. I just want to make a couple very quick comments on it. Most crucially, all this transformation, uh, going from 
imperishable to perishable, weak to, to powerful, uh, natural to spiritual, is all because we've become in Christ. We are currently, right in this moment, in the physical form like Adam, which is subject to death, it's subject to decay, it's subject to sin. Now, we are renewed by the Holy Spirit, but there will come a day where we're completely transformed and we will take on the physical form that Christ is like. Not that we become Christ. He is always Christ, we are not. But we will have the same kind of bodies that he has with no more resemblance to the sinful nature anymore. But what what does all this mean? Like all this talk about transformed bodies being different, glorious and perishable, it's like it's way off in the distance. So what, what good is that? For the moment, why is it significant? I think at the most like basic level, there's heaps of things it does, but we have something glorious to look forward to. Like something so beautiful that if you're in Christ, that is our future reality, an absolute certainty. Where there is no more crying, where there is no more pain, where there is no more fear of death, where there is no more tiredness to hear you, no more aches, no more pains. No more trips to the doctors. Like the doctors do a wonderful job here, right? Incredible. We'll take our hats off to the doctors. We're so thankful. I don't know what you're going to do in heaven. You'll do something. <laughs> You've got a wonderful job to do there, for sure. I don't want to diminish that. But our bodies are perfected. They don't die. They don't fail. And we'll be in the presence of God without sin, without distraction. The pain of this world will stop. But more than just stop, it transforms us to something glorious, joyful. The trials that we endure in this life, whatever they may be, things that we do and endure for the sake of Christ or just living in a fallen world, they will end. They will be replaced with glory. Our suffering may not end in this life, but it certainly will in the next this new transformed body we have coming to us is incredibly beautiful. So remind yourself. Like remind one another. Have that eternal goal in view. Like spur one another on. Like have that eternal prize before you. Perfectly united with Christ in his perfect, imperishable, glorious kingdom. Now the third thing to consider is when will this resurrection be a reality? Now, we know Jesus' words. He said, we don't know. We don't know the, the day that Jesus is, it, the Father's going to tell Jesus to return. We don't know the day or the hour. So I'm not going to speculate. Don't worry. But Paul does give a couple helpful things about what that day will look like. The resurrection day. He says this. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a bing, blink, in a in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Like, firstly, we will not all sleep. Jesus is going to come back sometime in human history. Jesus will return. Secondly, there's a trumpet call. This, tr- this transformation that we're looking forward to, it isn't a process. It's instant unlike a seed which takes time to grow we will be transformed in an instant our resurrection and transformation is an extraordinary 
work of God. And then thirdly, I want to pick up the word changed. And uh, what Paul talks about in being clothed in uh, immortality and being imperishable. Now, we don't get this in our English Bible, but in the Greek, it has a particular tense which is called the passive voice. Now, what that means is that we have no action or we have no involvement in the thing happening other than it just happening to us. We are just being the recipients. What this screams out to us is that it's all by God's grace. Like grace is just littered throughout the Bible, but it's here again. Only by God's grace can we be changed because he is the one that does it. This whole act of, of resurrection is God's grace. Like we have no way of doing it ourselves. We have no right to be resurrected again. We have no right to be transformed into this glorious body. But by God's grace, he grants it to us. He accomplished it for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus' death and resurrection. And when the Father sends Jesus again, the grace of God will be lavished on us again as we receive our resurrected bodies in the presence of God in his perfect eternal kingdom. And at that point, we can claim the glorious words, like death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, for he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. No Christian is ever lost to death. I had the privilege of attending Marley Mansour's funeral this week. And the Mansours, along with us, can declare, just as Sammy said, with, he said, we have 100% confidence, no shadow of doubt. We can, and we can all grieve with hope because God has secured a physical resurrection for us in Christ. What this also reminds us is that the kingdom of God is now, but it's also not yet. Because death still does happen. There still is a sting. When we remember that our bodies will be resurrected, it guards us against thinking that all the blessings of the kingdom of God will come right now. God has promised us that when the kingdom comes all the promises will come. So now, not every suffering is going to be stopped. Not every injustice will be dealt with. It will be. It's not that God doesn't care. It will be. And at times, in our moments in life, God chooses to restore things right now. But not everything will be. The kingdom is now, but is also not yet. And Paul has one final word. Having discussed all this future reality for the last 23 verses and uh, the verses before that in this chapter, he plants all this teaching in, the, in one verse. He says this, Therefore, so of everything we know about the resurrection now, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain basically keep persevering keep persevering in faith because it's worth it let all this thinking and understanding about the future spur you on let it shape what you do in your life in the present keep persevering in faith because it is worth it 
we need to constantly remember and remind ourselves that we don't just live for the here and the now. We have an eternal heavenly prize that awaits us. So stand firm, continue in the faith, continue to labor in the Lord. Don't get caught up in the, in the fleeting pleasures of this world. Don't let them entice you away. Like, I know the temptation. I feel the temptation with you every day. We fight against it in our society, in our culture, within ourselves. When we look at our screens, everything's screaming, live for the now, calling for our attention. It is a constant conscious and subconscious battle that we constantly face. And we rely on God every day through the power of his Holy Spirit. And we need to, to remember to have that eternal perspective on things, not just a worldly perspective. So please, can I encourage you again to keep your eyes on the prize, to not just let the fleeting pleasures of this world captivate you, to, not, to stop living for Jesus. No, don't do that. Keep going. The things of this life, when we're sitting in eternity, many of it will seem insignificant. Like when you become 30, you look back at your stresses when you're 20. They don't have the same kind of weight, do they? When we are sitting in eternity, the stresses of this life, the things that were not for Christ, fade away. They are insignificant. Now that's not to say only formal Christian ministry or only when we share the gospel with someone that it's of value. Like Paul says earlier in his letter, do all things for the glory of God, absolutely everything. But the things that are purely of this world, and when we live for just this life alone, they all pass away. So please, continue to stand firm in the faith. And all the praise be to God, all the praise be to God for the incredible future and the reality of a transformed body that awaits us. So live life in the present now with a future reality in mind. Stand firm. Stand in the gospel. Continue to live it out. Let me pray. Father God, we are so thankful that you sent Jesus. And we're incredibly thankful for the grace that we've received in this moment. And we're also incredibly thankful for the grace that's going to be given to us when you transform these bodies, our decaying bodies, the ones that is imperishable and glorious. We long for that day. We long for the day where we get to meet you face to face. Father, please keep us standing on the gospel. Please keep us firm, laboring for Jesus. And Father, please send him back soon. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.